Would you stand with me and turn to Romans 4? I'd like to, I'd like to read together and I'd like us all to stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to be in Romans chapter 4. And the title of my message today is going to be part two of our series in Romans 4. It is Abraham justified by faith. And turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 4. We're going to read verses 13 to 25. I'll read and, and uh, then we'll be seated and we'll, uh, we'll turn to the Word here and, and, and find out what it means for us. Romans 4. Verse 13 to 25, Paul writes this. He says, For the promise that he, Abraham, would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of no effect because the law brings about wrath. But where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. Abraham is the father of us all in the presence of him whom he believed, God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they, they did, who, contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations. According to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. No, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief. He was strengthened in faith giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what God had promised, He was also able to perform. And therefore, it was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. Now, it was not written for Abraham's sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in Him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our Justification. You may be seated. Powerful, powerful text this morning. A, a powerful and instructive text. One that, uh, one that we're going to uh, dig through here this morning. I want to turn first to verse uh, 13. Take a look again at verse 13. Paul writes this. He says, For the promise that he, Abraham, would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Now, uh, we've been looking at the the example of Abraham uh, from last Sunday and now today, and we're trying to determine what, what, what really what Paul's trying to do is he's trying to let his audience know, hey, look, he's speaking to a group of Jews and Gentiles, Christians, and some non, but nevertheless, mainly his Christian uh, brothers and sisters, both Jew and Gentile, he's speaking to them, writing to them in Rome, and he's saying, look, let us follow the example of Abraham. And the reason Paul appeals to Abraham is because he knows that especially his Jewish brothers and sisters in that church, the ones who are Messianic Jews, if you will, those Jews who have believed in Christ as Messiah, they want to hear about the people that they know. They want to hear about Abraham, the patriarch of Israel. And they want to know 
are we, as we are believing in Christ, and as we are following this, this Christian life, and listening to the letters of Paul, and reading the Gospels, are we in line with Abraham, our father? What would Dad say? What would Dad say about this newfound... Uh, what would Dad say about Jesus as Messiah? What would Dad say about faith, uh, righteousness only by faith? Would the Father agree with that? Would Father Abraham agree with that? The, the Jewish Christians are, are kind of wondering, and particularly the skeptics are wondering, that those who are not believers, they're saying, is this even in line with Judaism? Is this... Is this making any sense with our historical roots? And Paul says, look, the promise to Abraham that he would be the heir of the world was not given to Abraham or his seed through, through the law. It wasn't given through the Torah. It was given through the righteousness of faith. Now we wonder, what, what is that promise that, that Paul is talking about? What is the promise to Abraham is the question. What was the promise God made to Abraham. Well, really, we often think of it as one thing, but really it was, it was more than that. It was a multifaceted promise. Number one, and what you would think of most prominently, God gave Abraham, in your outlines there, the unconditional promise that he would become the father of many nations. Well, that's the promise that we're all very, very well accustomed to. We see that in Genesis 12, Genesis 15, and Genesis 17. But I submit to you, that that certainly wasn't the extent of the promise. That certainly wasn't the, 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 the whole of the promise God was giving to Abraham. In fact, it came, it was coupled with another promise, and it is this. God gave Abraham the unconditional promise that he, like the entire world, could be justified by faith. And how do we know that that was also uh, discussed between the Lord and Abraham in Genesis 12:15 and 17? Well, quite simply, Paul attests to it in Galatians 3. This is what he says. He says in the Scriptures, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the Gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, in you all the nations shall be blessed. What Paul means there is, look, when God was telling Abraham back in Genesis that he would become the father of many nations, when God was telling the patriarch Abraham that he, through him, his descendants would be like the stars of the sky and that blessing would come to the nations, that blessing was justification by faith. Paul says that was the blessing that all people, Jews, Gentiles, men, women, children, adults, that everyone could be justified by faith. That was the blessing to the nations. And so we shouldn't think strictly of God's promises to Abraham as strictly about people and about offspring and about land and about those kinds of things, all of which are included in it. But primarily and utterly, it is a promise of life. Everlasting life. Justification by faith. That was the promise that God gave to Abraham. And these promises were utterly unmerited by Abraham. They were totally of grace. 
the Lord not only guaranteed Abraham an heir in Isaac, who would carry on his name, but he also gave Abraham the gospel and he spoke to him of the coming blessing upon the nations that even Gentiles could be justified by faith in the coming Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Paul is saying, his point is, God's promise to Abraham, the promises that we read, the promises that that Paul's Jewish audience were thinking, well, do those promises align with this whole idea of justification by faith that you're talking about now? Paul's saying, look, those promises back there, 2,000 years ago, were not based on obedience to the law. If these promises were based on obedience to the law, then Abraham would have something to boast about. And that's what it talks about in the first part of Romans 4. Abraham could have boasted if it was according to law. But it wasn't according to law. It was according to God's promise. It was according to God's grace. If it were according to law, if it were according to obedience, if all these promises were contingent on Abraham being an obedient and holy man, then they couldn't have been counted on. They couldn't have been counted on because human beings fail. If Abraham could have earned these things, he could have also said, well, then God's in my debt somehow. That God owes me this promise. But instead, the promises were given unconditionally, entirely of grace. A promise appropriated only by faith, not by works. When Paul says the promise that Abraham would be the heir of the world was through the righteousness of faith, he means that God's promise to Abraham was like the righteousness He gave to Abraham by faith. The promise was unmerited. And likewise, friends, what we're saying today very clearly, just as the promise was unmerited, so also righteousness for you and me is totally unmerited. New birth is totally unmerited. Neither... Neither Abraham who believed nor any of us who believe deserve to receive God's righteousness by our works. We don't measure up. The only way we can get it is by faith. Jesus died for us. He died for the world. He was the propitiation and the ransom payment for the sins of the world. And that permitted the Father to offer righteousness by faith. A simple and beautiful offer. Now, we talked a lot last week about uh, Paul's arguments that, you know, people that, that teach us salvation by works or, or people that think they can earn God's favor, uh, in reality, that what they're doing is they're putting God in their debt. They're saying, I earned it. I did it. God owes it to me. And Paul discusses that again in verses 14 and 15. Notice what he says in Romans 4, 14 and 15. He says, For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void, and the promise made of no effect, because the law brings about wrath. For where there is no law, there is no transgression. What is Paul saying here? He's saying, look, suppose, suppose for a moment that it were true that a person's own obedience and righteousness, their own good works, could make them heirs before God. Suppose... People could, by their deeds, put God in their debt and earn reward for their good conduct. If that were true, Paul says, then two things are also true. Number one, faith would be pointless since God's favor is really earned by works. 
And number two, God's promises would be worthless. Since what really matters is how holy we are and how we can earn God's favor. Not receive His unconditional promise. But we can't earn God's favor. And that's Paul's point time and time again. We cannot earn righteousness. We cannot earn life. It's not accessible by our own merit. We may think we can do it, but in truth, the only thing that we can do when we start obeying the law and obeying and, and trying to be holy and, and looking at the law and saying, okay, I'm going I'm to shoot for the law as best I possibly can. The only thing that happens when we do that, when we focus on the law, is we find out how far we fall short. Paul says, the law brings about wrath. Earlier on in Romans 3.20, this is what he says about the law. Notice what he says. He says this, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh shall be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Paul is repeating this mantra again and again, and he's doing it for emphasis. And he's doing it because he knows that men and women, time and time again, forget this. We forget this. What is the purpose of the law? What is the purpose of God's law? It is to remind you of sin. It is to remind you of how far you fall short. Paying strict attention to law doesn't actually bring you closer to God. In truth, the law only shows how far away from God you are. And every time you transgress the law, you find how far you are from it. Notice that last phrase, the phrase uh, in verse 15 at the top. It says, for where there is no law, there is no transgression. You might be thinking, well, what does that mean? That, that sounds, does that mean that if there's no law, there's no sin? No, that's not exactly what, what Paul's saying there. In fact, this is a very peculiar statement in the Greek. And it, Paul uses this uh, this, um, ex, this figure of speech often. And in fact, I remember our, our previous pastor years ago, Arch, he always used to talk about the, these figures of speech, and they happen all over Scripture. This is actually called a litotes, and I've written it up there for you. That end of verse 15 is called a litotes. And what is a litotes? It, me, it simply means this. It's making a statement from the negative. So what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to take that negative statement and turn it into a positive to learn what it means. Well, this is what it means. When he says, for, for where there is no law, there is no transgression, what Paul means is, when we're looking at the law, when we're paying attention to law, all we see is our transgression. When we're looking at law, and when we're trying to obey so hard, and trying to do good works and righteousness and earn God's favor, he says the only thing we're going to see is our transgression. Where there is no law, there is no transgression. But when you are so focused on it, all you will see, Paul says, is how far you fall short. And so really the end of verse 15 there is no different than Romans 3.20. It's basically the exact same thing written in two different ways. Paul is is repeating this time and time again. He's saying, friends, stop looking at law. Stop trying to earn God's favor. 
receive it by faith. Verse 16. Paul says this. He says, therefore, it is of faith. It is of faith that it might be according to grace so that the promise might be sure to all the seed and not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. The basis, the basis, the foundation upon which God made promises to Abraham is the same basis upon which He offers you and me the promise of everlasting life. Our God was abundantly loving and abundantly gracious and abundantly merciful and He made unconditional promises to Abraham 2000, some, some 4,000 years ago now. He made unconditional promises to Abraham. Abraham didn't have to obey. He didn't have to be holy. He just needed to believe. He just needed to believe. And it's simply on the basis of faith that it might be by faith according to grace Abraham could be sure those promises were good. God doesn't wait for our merit. He waits for our faith. And uh, yeah, I think of promises, you know, uh, we, we make promises a lot, right? And our promises are, are really very unsure promises. We really don't know what's going to happen. You see, Paul here is saying, look, this promise is sure. It is absolute. And how do I know it's sure? Because it's not based on you. It's based on God. That's how I know it's sure. I was thinking uh, the, the other, uh, every once in a while after church, um, sometimes we'll, you know, we'll go to the mall for lunch, but if we're going home, sometimes we'll swing by Mickey D's, uh, McDonald's, you know, and we'll get, uh, we'll get some good, really, really excellent, healthy uh, food for, uh, for the Sunday after church. And my wife and I often drive separate cars to church because I try to get here a little bit earlier, you know, and, and, and uh, kind of do some final prep. And so she comes later with the kids, and we often, so we leave, of course, in separate cars as well. And she often goes home to uh, the house and gets the kids ready for lunch, and I'll go to, you know, the McDonald's and, and pick it up and bring it home. Well, on one occasion, my wife was, uh, was telling Bennett, you know, hey, Daddy is going to McDonald's. And Bennett was like, oh, right, you know. And she says, Daddy's going to bring you a Happy Meal toy, you know. And so Bennett was so excited. He was going to get this Happy Meal toy, and he just couldn't wait for it, right? And, and so she had made this promise to him, uh, and Bennett was getting all excited about this promise, getting this Happy Meal toy. Um, well, while I was at the drive-thru, uh, I'm kind of, uh, those of you that know me well, I'm kind of a cheapskate. And uh, you get, why are you guys laughing so hard? This is ridiculous. I mean, but I am, I'm, I'm kind, kind of a cheapskate. And uh, I'm at the drive-thru and I'm looking at the menu and I'm thinking, wow, you can get a 20-piece nugget, 20-piece meal, Chicken McNuggets, for only $4.99. And I was doing the math and I was like, that Happy Meal is like $4.69 and, and this is $4.99. I'm just going to get the 20-nugget meal here, right? Not knowing what my wife had promised Bennett. So I come home with this 20-nugget meal for, uh, for me and my wife and my son, I guess. And I bring it over and I open up the bag and Bennett's like, Daddy, where's the toy? 
And I'm just like, what toy? And, uh, you know, and my wife and I felt so bad because, you know, she had made a promise and I, and I wasn't aware of that promise. And, and if I was aware, of course, I would have gotten the Happy Meal. And we got home and there was no, there was no Happy Meal toy. And my son was heartbroken. He wasn't that heartbroken, actually. He was okay. What's my point? Um, uh, we, can, we make promises all the time. And uh, our promises are just not sure. They're not sure. Um, sometimes we don't get the Happy Meal toy. Uh, sometimes we break marriage vows. Sometimes we break contracts. Human beings, you know, we, we break promises all the time. It's just ridiculous. And, and we make promises to one another, and yet we can never be sure if those promises are going to be upheld. Because we're human. We're fallible. Paul says, this promise is sure. It is sure. And how do I know it's sure? Because it wasn't based on you. It wasn't based on Abraham. It was based on the Lord. It is of faith that it might be according to grace so that the promise might be sure. If it wasn't those things, it could not be sure. God's promises to us are not based on our deeds. They're not based on our obedience. If it were, we would never be able to count on our eternal destiny. Paul says, the promise to Abraham is a faith according to grace, not by works. And it's a sure promise. Not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Verse 17 and 18. He says, as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. Abraham, in the presence of him, of God who believed, whom he believed, God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did, who contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations, according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. Paul quotes uh, the Old Testament promise there at the start in verse uh, 17. He's reminding us again, uh, reminding us Jewish uh, brethren, hey, remember that promise. That promise was according to faith. That promise was not according to His works, not according to law, but by faith. And that word made there, the word made in, in, in the Greek there, I have made you a father of many nations. That's a, that's a particular verb in, in Greek. It's in the perfect tense. It basically means that, look, this speaks of a past event, something that happened in the past that has lasting significance. I have made you a father of many nations. When God was making that promise to Abraham, He was saying, I'm doing it now and I'm carrying it out all the way through. You can be sure on that promise. And Abraham now stands in the presence of him whom he believed, uh, just marveling at what God has done. Abraham didn't see the fulfillment of, God's, of all of God's promises in his lifetime, but he, like all of us who believe, was given life from the grave. God gives life to the dead. 
He makes promises about people who don't even yet exist, Paul says. God told Abraham that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars of the sky. And those people weren't even in existence yet. And yet God knew what He was promising him. He told Abraham and he was good on his promise. Are we good on our promises? That's a challenge to us, really, if you stop and think about it. You know, we, we discussed how often we can break them, but God is good on His promises. Are you? Do you imitate the character and the integrity of God that when you give someone your word, you make good on it? Are you, are you breaking wedding vows? Are you breaking promises to your children? Are you breaking business contracts? Our society has grown so accustomed to uh, breaking covenants and breaking contracts that today our, even our federal agencies advise our citizens, oh, just get rid of that marriage. Here's how you do it. Ah, get rid of that mortgage. Here's how you do it. Promise is a promise is a promise. Sometimes there are things outside of our control that we cannot control. Sometimes there are things, sometimes the, 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 the weight of a situation becomes so overbearing that we cannot walk through it. But the one thing we can do is as everything depends on us, keep your promises. Keep your promises. Keep your vows. Keep your contracts. Be a man and a woman of your word. And as much as depends on you, do everything in your power to maintain integrity in the promises that you make. We're going to fail. I've failed on promises many, many times. And I know we've all failed on promises. I've broken contracts I've made promises that I did not make good on. Um, Shame on me. From here on out, be a person who makes good on your promises. Verse 18, again, he says, "Who Abraham, who contrary to hope, in hope believed that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. You know, Abraham, he had little reason to hope in God's promise. He was so old and so fragile. He was a hundred years old that when God told him he'd have a son, Abraham was like, you've got to be kidding me. But verse 19, notice, notice what, uh, what Paul writes of Abraham's faith. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a hundred years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. No, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief. He was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, being fully convinced that what he had promised, what God had promised, God was also able to perform. And therefore, it was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. Abraham didn't spend all his days uh, during, that, during the time period of that promise. He didn't spend his days bemoaning his old age and the old age of his wife. He, he, there's a, there's a, there was a moment there where he laughed. There was a moment there where he had a second guess in, in his mind. But the testimony of the Scripture as a whole speaks to the fact that Abraham trusted this promise. He believed God. 
He was not weak in faith. He did not waver. He did not disbelieve. Instead, he exhibited utter trust in the Lord God to accomplish what he had promised. Verse 21 says he was fully convinced. He trusted God fully. And on account of that trust, God credited him with righteousness. On account of that trust, on account of that faith, God said, Abraham, I credit you with righteousness. I bestow upon you the righteousness of God that you can enter in to the kingdom of God forever. And verse 23 to 25, the closing here. Now, this was not written for Abraham's sake alone, that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in Him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. We too, Paul says, we too can receive these promises. Jesus was delivered up because of our offenses. He died and He rose again that God could show us unmerited favor and offer the gift of eternal life to all who believe in His Son. Jesus died and rose again that God could show you favor. That God could give you unmerited grace. He couldn't just do that on a, on a whim. Words are cheap. We discussed, I think, a few, few studies back. Words are cheap. God can't just say, oh, how about believe in me and then you can go to heaven. Nuh-uh. He's a holy God. He's a perfect God. And in the face of sin, He needs somebody to take care of that sin before He can offer you and me righteousness by faith. And so what did He do? He sent Jesus to the cross. He sent His own Son to the cross to die in our stead to pay for the sins of the world that God could now turn to you and say, oh, guess what now? Now, you don't need to obey Me perfectly. You don't need to be perfectly holy. All you need to do is believe in Me and I will credit you with righteousness and new life. It's an amazing story of God's love, friends. It is an amazing story of God's love, what we read in this portion of Scripture in Romans. And that's really what I want to leave us with today. I want to leave us with this. That, 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 that Consider this. God loves the world. We've heard it before, right? That sounds very cliche. God loves the world. But consider this. His love for people is not contingent on people's works. Since the world already has God's love, people are actually foolish to try and earn that love. The only thing the world can do is learn to receive that love and be grateful for it. The only thing the world can do is learn to receive God's love and be grateful for it. Well, that's the world, but now, but now I want to make it for you. I want to switch this up for just humor me a second. Not God loves the world. God loves you. God loves me. God loves me. And not only that, but His love for me is not contingent on my works. 
His love for me is not contingent on my works. And not only that, but since I already have God's love, I am foolish to try and earn that. The only thing I can do is learn to receive it and be grateful for it. God loves me. And His love for me is not based on my works. I already have His love. And I would be a fool to try and earn more of it. All I should do is learn to receive it and be grateful for it. Uh, I have a book uh, by Robert McGee, The Search for Significance. How many of you have read this book? None? Wow. It's one of my top ten books. Um, it's, it's not entirely well known, although it says here over a million copies in print. And this was probably a ten-year-old copy, so maybe there's about two million now. Robert McGee, it's, it's not a well-known book, The Search for Significance. Um, in his book, The Search for Significance, this topic behind me is utterly the focus of the entire book. He talks about people who try to perform to earn God's love. He talks about people who they're so ashamed that they think God could never love me. He talks about all people of all shapes and sizes, all of whom do not realize that God already loves you unconditionally. And in one of the, one of the chapters here, he writes this. In one of, the, one of the selections, he writes this. He says, the love of God and His acceptance of us is based on grace, His unmerited favor. It is not based on our ability to impress God through our good deeds. And then notice this. Understanding God's grace compels us to action because love motivates us to please the One who has so freely loved us. But, but, this great motivating factor is missing in many of our lives because we don't really believe that God loves us unconditionally. Friends, I'm here to say very clearly to you, based on what we have read in Romans 4 and throughout the whole of Scripture, you already have God's favor. You already have it. He already loves you. He's already died for you in Christ. And all He asks is to receive Him. All He asks is to receive His love. To receive His life. To receive it by faith. And know that you can never lose it. His promise of justification to you and to me is unconditional. It is entirely of grace. It is entirely by faith. I urge us this morning as we leave today, let us follow in the footsteps of our spiritual father Abraham, who was not justified because he obeyed, or because he earned it, or because he put God in his debt. No, let us imitate Abraham because he was justified entirely by faith. You have God's love. Learn to receive it.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, it is hard to believe that You love us apart from our performance. Lord, it it goes against every thread of our being. In every moment in life, our performance matters, God. It matters in our job. It matters in our home. It matters wherever we go. Our performance always changes our value. It always changes the way people see us based on what we do. But You don't do that to us, Lord. You show us unmerited love and grace regardless of our performance. And Lord, You are able to show it because of Your Son, Jesus Christ, who died in our stead. God, help us to receive Your love. Help us to know we are loved regardless of what we do, regardless of where we have been. You already love us, Lord. I pray by Your Spirit You would help us to learn to receive that love. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.